Take your Bibles and turn to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to transition. And yet you're going to find today's passage. I was, I was sharing with someone before the service started. Um, I had not, obviously, we never are able to coordinate the circumstances going on in our community. But, oh my gosh, does this passage speak to where we are today in a remarkable way. The Spirit of God does what the Spirit of God does. And so we'll be looking at verses 12 through 24 this morning. But let me back up before we, before we jump into the passage because I want to keep setting the story. If you were with us last week, we talked about the power of our personal story and especially the ways that you and I handle trouble and suffering um, because we follow Jesus. And, and here were a few of the takeaways, just a, just a couple of review statements. We discovered last week that our lives with God, our story, and the uniquenesses of our story um, is not just for us, it's for others. And the comfort that you and I experience from God and from other followers of Jesus is not only for our sake, it's for the sake of others. It's a stewardship. And so what God is doing in us is intended to be passed on to others. And so the comfort that we find in authentic community is not the removal of our suffering, uh, but the courage and the strength we find from one another to be faithful to Christ in our suffering. And we had a long conversation about that last week. And our posture, so our posture towards the troubles that enter our life, towards the suffering we encounter, is actually where we display the presence of Christ in most dramatic ways. It's how we share the gospel. Arguably, it's how we share the gospel far more powerfully than any words we can use. Is as people observe our life in the face of us navigating trouble and suffering. I received a text from someone within our Grace family this week, and, and, and she said this, our suffering does not negate our ministry, it's the vitality behind it. Great statement, great statement. Really encapsulated everything we talked about last week. Well, this morning, we're going to think about a particular kind of trouble we all experience. In the same way that troubles are universal, we're going to talk about a kind of trouble that every person in this room has experienced, and it brings its own kind of suffering with it. And that is being misunderstood and misjudged by other people. And how we handle those times when people come to conclusions about us and, and, and develop opinions about us that we just don't believe are accurate. And my suspicion, it's probably fair to say that for every person in this room, um, we all have experience those times when our words or our actions were misunderstood and our intentions were misjudged. And we've been on the receiving end that we, we understand what that's like. Having something taken in a different way than we ever intended it is a common experience. Now, as we begin to look at Paul's words beginning at verse 2012, that was exactly the situation he found himself in. Um, now, I want to tell you some of the backstory. Because so often when we read the scriptures, if we don't fully understand the backstory, we, we fail to appreciate some of the power of what's being written. And most of the churches that you read about in the New Testament um, trace their history to Paul. 
Paul had his fingerprints over on, on, on almost every church that we read about. Um, he played a role in how they came to Christ and how they began and, and the placing of leaders in all these churches. And so not surprisingly, uh, at, that, at that point in history, Paul was likely the most respected and most trusted spiritual leader in the lives of many, many people. And so his presence, whenever he could be with people, offered a stability, it offered direction, it offered encouragement. And, and so people wanted as much of Paul as they could get. They wanted him to spend as much time with them as he was able to provide them. And, and so, not surprisingly, the expectations on Paul were rid ridiculously high. They went to the ceiling. And... Paul, as we will see, did his best to spend as much time as he could with as many of the churches as he could. If, if you read the book of Acts in particular, you read of Paul visiting and revisiting and revisiting churches as well as writing the letters to churches he couldn't always visit that we read in the New Testament. He was deeply concerned uh, about not allowing the churches to feel abandoned by him. But as new churches were planted and the numbers grew, it became tougher and tougher and tougher for Paul to be present. And so one of the things that Paul was constantly navigating was that people were always disappointed in him. And the disappointment didn't stay idle. The disappointment led people to question Paul's intentions and integrity. And so stories began to swirl. Paul's insincere. Uh, Paul makes promises he can't keep. Uh, behind all of Paul's talks of servanthood, he was simply advancing his own agenda and all he wanted was more and more and more churches. He didn't care about us. And, and it became a big deal. And obviously fodder for all of Paul's critics and people who... Um, we're looking for ways to discredit Paul. And before we go further, this is so, so relevant for us today. I'm, how you and I handle the expectations of people and, and how we handle their disappointment in particular is something that impacts all of our lives. The misunderstanding and the misjudging that inevitably follow is harmful, it can be toxic, and it is what puts at risk our very spiritual vitality as individuals in a community. Um, and when we find ourselves in that place where we're navigating being misunderstood or misjudged or people's disappointment, you know it feels like a no-win situation that no matter what we say, no matter what we do, it's going to end in further misunderstanding. And, and so we find ourselves there. I've experienced it. I experience it all the time as a pastor. You know, hardly a week goes by where I don't learn of someone else I've disappointed. And people's expectations uh, when I fail to meet their expectations and their disappointment in me, and, and I find myself often feeling misunderstood and misjudged. Now, I can also talk about it from your perspective. 
or from, from the perspective of people because you may have stories, I, I'm sure you do, maybe some of them hurtful and tragic of the ways that spiritual leaders that you trusted have disappointed you, maybe left you disillusioned. And so this is a, this is a very important conversation, is it not? We all live in this place. It's part of our, part of our experience as, as human beings. And it's always tricky defending oneself against being misunderstood and misjudged. It's awkward. Um, it comes across as self-protective, even defensive. And in some situations, not defending ourselves is the best posture we can take. And there's a humility in not defending ourselves every time we say or do something that disappoints someone, which is all the time, right? <laughs> and we can't live in this place of being defensive or guarded all the time whenever whatever we say or do offends someone. But there are also occasions when more is at stake than what someone thinks about us. A friendship may be at stake, a friendship that's worth fighting for. Or as we're gonna see uh, Paul's case, the reputation of Christ and the gospel uh, was at stake. And so there are times that misunderstanding needs to be cleared up. The question is, how do we do it? And Paul's response to the Corinthians is going to be remarkably helpful to all of us. For those moments, those times where you find yourself feeling misunderstood and misjudged. So let's pick it up in verse 12. So Paul writes, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. And we have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. I, I love where Paul begins. Before Paul defended himself, he examined himself. And, and Paul just says, this is what I can say very clearly, that the word boast doesn't mean a, an edgy, haughty boast. It's just a, this is our confidence. Paul says, our conscience is clear. In fact, our conscience testifies to our conduct that, that he had conducted himself with integrity. There was a level of character that was obvious to anyone who knew Paul. A godly sincerity. He had lived in a transparent and genuine and authentic way. And, and his life had been according to God's grace, not human wisdom. Uh, there had been no manipulation. There was no masked, hidden agendas. And he'll talk a lot more about that in the weeks to come as, as this whole passage unfolds. And, and so Paul was, was very comfortable saying that I could boast about something. I'm very confident about all this. And he could say it because they knew Paul. Anyone who had lived around him knew these things to be true. It was a loud just reality that his, his relationships with people gave evidence that everything that he was talking about was true. It was the way he lived that testified to the truth. Now, I want to pause for a moment and, and, and be sure we see how, how practical Paul's modeling for us is. I want you to think for a moment at a time where you've been misunderstood or misjudged. And what's your initial instinct? 
See, our initial instinct is to defend ourselves. It might be the most natural human instinct that we feel whenever we feel threatened by someone. Our, our reputation is threatened. Our family is threatened. Uh, something we value is threatened. Our initial human instinct is to defend ourselves. And what Paul is modeling is the fact that it's always wise to take some time to thoughtfully examine our conduct before we respond. In other words, resist the initial instinct, create some time and space to examine yourself. And you start asking a series of questions like, what role may I have played in the misunderstanding? Or did I, did I say something that contributed to this? Did I say something cruel or unkind? Uh, have I spoken or said something it's, it's hurtful or misdirected? Um, or did I not say something or do something that would have been helpful? Um, here, here's the big question that we always need to be asking ourselves. Does my conduct afford me a clear conscience? And until we've crossed that bridge, we have no business stepping in to beginning to explain things. You know, does my conduct, does our conduct give us a clear conscience? It's always our first step in dealing with misunderstanding and misjudging. It, the first step is always being honest with ourselves and honest with God. I'm going to put a statement up here right now that I want you to write down and linger with throughout the week. Misunderstanding becomes more complicated and more hurtful when we're unaware of the ways that we contribute or are, are unwilling to examine our own conscience before we engage others. So whatever misunderstanding you're experiencing, if, if we don't pause to examine ourselves, I can promise you something. Whatever you say or do is going to make it worse. Because we're going to bring our ego with us. We're going to bring unhealthy emotions with us. We're going to bring all kinds of stuff with us um, in an effort to protect ourselves. Now, as you would imagine, I spend a fair amount of time with people working through the hurts of feeling misunderstood or misjudged. Many of my conversations with people during the week are people who have been hurt by someone in our family. Or someone in their extended family. Without exception, I can share something with you. Over the decades of talking with people, the single greatest obstacle, bar none, the single greatest obstacle is always the inability for honest self-reflection and self-awareness. By far and away, if, if someone is unable to be honest with themselves before trying to resolve a situation, it becomes the biggest obstacle. And then here's why. We always see others more clearly than we see ourselves. And, and so Paul is saying, pause and examine yourself. Now, let's go on. And this is, this is important how Paul begins to build. So because his conscience was examined, because Paul could speak confidently of a clear conscience, he was able to speak in a way that wasn't defensive. 
And, and you're going to see his words disarmed the misunderstanding because he wasn't bringing with him a wounded ego or unhealthy emotion. So he goes on. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. Now, I am going to suggest that there is no edge to Paul's words. He is speaking with a matter-of-fact humility and gentleness. And Paul says, you need to understand that everything I've, I've ever written has been straightforward. There's no hidden agenda. No need to read between the lines to discover what I really meant. I've always been honest with you. You know, I find when I, when I, when I read a passage like this, it's, it's so easy to identify with, with how personal this was for Paul. And, and getting to a place where you're able to begin stepping back in when, when your character, your integrity, your intentions have, have been called into question requires the Spirit of God in a remarkable way. It's not an easy place to get to. A number of years ago, there were some within our church family who disagreed with something I was teaching an emphasis I brought. And they came to the conclusion, they insisted I had a hidden agenda and that my words were selected to disguise or hide what I really meant. That what I was saying wasn't what I really believed and what was really true and I had a, a whole nother agenda that was never being spoken. And, and there were some who went back and listened to year after year after year of my teaching looking for certain words or phrases they believed validated their concerns. Uh, they were clearly disappointed in my leadership. Uh, they doubted my intentions, they called into question my integrity, and for the most part, without speaking to me personally, they shared their concerns with many others in our Grace family. Um, and in the end, trust was damaged, relationships hurt. And so today, when I look back on the confusion and the hurt of those years, and how, how difficult it was for me, for me to try to hang on to a uh, an appropriate sense of humility and, and walking with Christ, I, today I, I can say I, I was open and as transparent as I could be. And, and that I have a clear conscience uh, that I conducted myself with integrity and sincerity and grace. It, it didn't necessarily remove the conflict. Um, but there was a huge learning for me, and it's true for all of our relationships. When disappointment, misunderstandings, and misjudging is not dealt with out in the open, when it remains hidden, the damage and the trust, the damage to trust and relationships is deep. See, here's what happens. When things lie out there, a narrative is set in place that is tough to undo. And once that narrative begins to move, it's difficult to step in and undo the, the, the narrative and recover it. And so it's far healthier to be talking openly and honestly uh, than keeping it hidden. Everyone involved having the humility to listen and reassess their narrative. What if your narrative is wrong? And... That is the dynamic. So, so a narrative had, was, was just raging in the Corinthian church about Paul. And I, I love what, what Paul did. He didn't ignore the misunderstanding, hoping it would just disappear. 
And this is counterintuitive to, to many of us. You know, as we've all experienced, misunderstanding doesn't just disappear. Um, undealt with, it deepens, it festers, it colors all future conversations, it leads to more misjudging, and it prevents healthy community from ever flourishing. And, and so Paul, aware of the risks of this, was willing to take the risk of being accused of being a de defensive depression. But as he did, he held out hope, verse 14. And, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Pa Paul didn't just dismiss people who were criticizing him, people who called into question his intentions. His hope was that the misunderstandings would be cleared up, not just for his sake, but for everyone's sake, that those who doubted his intentions and integrity would one day be proud of him and that he would be proud of them as well. See, what he's describing is recovered trust. It's such an honest expression of 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 Paul's hope and Paul's heart. And, and, and so now that he's kind of laid the groundwork, I have a clear conscience and you've got to trust my heart. There was nothing hidden. And what I really want is to restore trust. I, I want to see us once again in a healthy place. Against that background, Paul then explained what actually happened. Verse 15. So because I, I was confident of this, what he had just written in verses 12, 13, and 14, I, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. Um, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and, and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Uh, here's what Paul is simply describing. Paul had hoped to visit them twice. He was going to travel from, from Corinth up to Macedonia, where churches like Philippians and, and Thessalonica were, and, and then he was going to travel back to Corinth, and then he was going to head on to Jerusalem. And that was his plan. That was his intent all along. And so he would, he would get to benefit twice from, from enjoying being with them. And the Corinthians just landed on that as a promise. So when Paul's plans changed, and he only made one visit, they called into question his integrity with all the things I mentioned earlier. And, and so Paul, verse 17, says, was I fickle when I intended this? You know, Paul, Paul, you know, when he learned that people were calling into question his integrity over changing his plans, he says, do you really think I'm that careless with my plans? You know me better than that. Do you really think I'm that careless? He goes on. Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? Paul says, think about it. My words matter to me. I don't speak out of both sides of my mouth to please people. I don't tell people what they need to hear. Say yes to some because I, I think that's what they want to hear from me and say no to others because that's what they want to hear. I, I don't speak to people that way. I don't conduct myself like that, Paul says. That's not in keeping with God's character or the gospel. And he goes on, as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. 
But in him, it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying our promises, our yeses, have always been genuine and authentic. Being faithful to our promises is important to us. God's true to his promises, we seek to be true to ours. Paul understood that his integrity was closely connected to the integrity of the gospel, and so how he conducted himself with what he said was directly connected to what people thought about the gospel. And, and if you remember the New Testament, Jesus spoke to this. In another place, Jesus said, all you need to simply say is yes or no, and anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I love what Jesus had to say. Jesus said, there are times when no is the appropriate thing to say. We need to be comfortable and clear with our no's. Even if you know someone's going to be disappointed in the no, be clear with it. Be comfortable with it. It's unwise to say yes when you really mean no, just as it's unwise to say no when you really intend to say yes, but you just don't want to commit yourself just yet. Jesus says, let your words be clear. Just be straightforward. Be honest. And beyond your honesty, it's not your role to change or convince people's understanding or response. What happens beyond that's up to them. It's not your deal. You don't have to be responsible for that. Simply trust God to be at work in, in everyone's story and life situation. And then Paul says some remarkable things. Verse 20. Now, it's God who makes both us, you, stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He said it's, it's God who makes us stand. So just be truthful, be straightforward. Let your yes be yes, your no. And we've tried to conduct ourselves that way. Now, if you're thinking this morning, you realize there is still a question that Paul hasn't answered. Why had his, change plan, his plans changed? Since so much was swirling that was misrepresenting the truth, why did his plans change? And so now he answers that question directly. Verse 23, I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it. In other words, he is about to assure them something in the strongest possible terms. The reason he changed his plans was not what they thought. It was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. He was acting in their best interests by not coming back. So he answered those who misjudged his intentions and called his integrity into question. Now, we're going to talk a lot about this over the next couple of weeks because it's really core to the early part of 2 Corinthians 2 and 3. You see, Paul, when you read the New Testament, we have two letters from Paul, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Most believe Paul actually wrote another letter to the church of Corinth. There was a third letter. And it was a difficult letter. Um, later, Paul calls it a painful letter. Because Paul was confronting some sinful practices in the church. 
and we'll look at those uh, uh, next couple of weeks. And in this letter, Paul confronted it. He called it out. He named the practice, and he called them to repent. And he challenged them to deal honestly with the sin that he was naming. And rather than delivering this letter to them personally, he sent the letter with his trusted friend Titus. Again, hold on to some of this in the future weeks. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna make this passage come alive as we move through into, into chapter two. This letter, this, this painful letter is lost to us. It was not included in the canon of scripture. But we can piece the situation together from First and Second Corinthians. The reason that Paul did not make this second visit back to Corinth wasn't because he was insincere or indecisive or that he lacked integrity. Nothing could be further from the truth. Paul didn't want his personal presence to pressure them in any way to a, to a desired response. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Look at verse 20. Paul says, not that we lord it over your faith. This phrase, lord it over your faith. Pressure, use authority, rule over you, direct your faith. Not that we do that, Paul says. But we work with you for your joy because it's by faith you stand firm. Now, here's what Paul's talking about. He was an apostle. He was the most respected, trusted, authoritative voice in the church at that time. He could have showed up to Corinth after that second, that painful letter he wrote and used his full authority to insist or demand that they respond well. He could have exerted pressure, exerted control. He could have lorded it over their faith. And it would have been painful for everyone. But he didn't. He didn't. And that may push against how some of us have come to understand Paul. Uh, see, Paul didn't see changing them as his role or responsibility to direct their faith. That was between them and God. He respected that. They needed to determine who they wanted to be and how they would best respond. And so Paul backed out of it because he wanted their decision to be made because the Spirit of God had led them to a decision, not because he had pressured them there. Uh, one of the things that sometimes our chapter and verse markings in the Bible, sometimes they get in the way. And we've got chapter two, we had a break between chapter one and chapter two. It's really, it continues on. And, and Paul says this beginning in chapter two, and we'll look closer at this in a couple of weeks. So Paul says, so I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I come, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I love these next words. I had confidence in all of you that you will all share, that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Paul didn't visit them because he believed in them. He was confident in something about them. 
He had the confidence that they would make the appropriate decision without pressure from him. And so now we wonder. Once they heard the story, how would that change the narrative that led to Paul being misunderstood and misjudged? My suspicion is pretty dramatically. And now people, as they hear the facts, they back and go, oh, oh my gosh, I, I didn't realize that. And it, 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 it disrupted, it interrupted the narrative that had begun to grow up. And, and once, once they understood the, the realities of what the story really had been and what really was Paul's heart and intention, everything changed. And so I have a question for us this morning. I want you to think for a moment about relationships that you're encountering right now where right now at this moment they're being defined by misunderstanding and misjudging. Um, How would knowing the truth change the narrative we haul around and hold on to about others all the time. How much of the misunderstanding and feeling misjudged do we carry around, and yet there's pieces of the story that are floating around that we've developed a narrative that may or may not be accurate? And if you knew, if you knew the full story, how much would it change the narrative? Imagine, imagine with me how much more healthy our families, our, our, our biological families, our friendships, our spiritual community at Grace Church would be. Imagine how different it would be if we were more straightforward and honest with each other about our disappointments and misunderstandings. I would say it like this. How much healthier things would be if we were less nice sometimes and we told the truth? Or how much healthier would, would, would our relationships be if we, if we refused to judge the intentions and integrity of another person until we've had personal conversations with that person and we know all the story? And we withhold coming to conclusions until we know all the facts. And we're comfortable that we know all the facts. And, and then once the facts are then out in the open, like Paul, we release any need to control the outcome. We don't lord it over anyone. Even, even when we know what the, what the appropriate response should be, You know, Paul knew all along what he hoped they would do, but he backed out of it. He trusted God, believing it was God who would make them stand. It was God they had to determine, and then now he's going to back out. And instead, you and I, we choose to trust God with the outcomes. And we release having to manage the outcomes to the way that we desire. And instead, we we trust one another to be responsive to God. 
we believe the best in each other, how different would it be? That's worth pondering. So join me in prayer. Father, I, I never cease to be amazed at how pointed and how practical your word is to our everyday lives today. And Father, there may be most of us are feeling misunderstood or misjudged or misrepresented by someone in our sphere of influence and our relationships. Father, help us to back up a little bit. And Father, as we, as we, as we hope and as we long to see trust restored and community restored, give us the courage to examine ourselves to be honest with ourselves, to see what is sometimes hard for us to see in ourselves. And then, Father, as we speak, may we speak uh, in, uh, in straightforward ways that are honest and true and authentic and, and yet not needing to control or manage or fix because we trust you and we trust one another. Father, it, it breaks your heart uh, to see your family just torn by misunderstanding and misjudging. And so, Father, we ask for your forgiveness. And we, we invite you to do something fresh. And so, Father, today, maybe we go home and we begin that process of examination. And we begin the journey of looking to see uh, broken relationships restored in appropriate ways for, for our sake and for the sake of our friendship and for the sake of Christ and, and the sake of the reputation of the gospel and the church and our community for, for the sake of others. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for pressing in in such a needed way, in a place that touches all of our lives. In Jesus' name.